Welcome back. This is Brian McCormick, back with Episode 2 and National Leader of the Month, Bill Glass. Here in Episode 2, Mr. Glass will be discussing leadership. He'll be talking about the books he recommends for aspiring leaders, talking about some of his most admired leaders, sharing some ideas on traits most important in a leader, and offering suggestions for dealing with followers who are not achieving their full potential. Looking at some of the books that you had listed as recommendations for aspiring leaders, I just wanted to double check which ones that you had selected. Um, you had one by Don Soderquist. Was that was it Live, Learn, Lead to Make a Difference? Yes, that's right. Okay. Could you talk a little bit about that book, uh, why you think that's a good book for aspiring leaders? It's just a really great book. He was CEO of Walmart, and uh, I evidently made a lot of money and built what's called the Photograph Center there in Rogers, Arkansas. And it's a huge, beautiful place. And they bring in people and teach them leadership. And that, that book right there is a great book. The other book that I really have just read again, in fact, in the last two or three days I read it again, was called The, the Richest Man in Babylon. Okay, sure. That's a classic. I know very few real leaders that don't read The Richest Man in Babylon. Great book. Uh, many of the books that are in print today are really just sort of a rehashing of that book. Sure. And uh, it's probably the classic in the field. Of course, I've read all the, the normal ones like Thing and Go Rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I I was a great performer when I was playing pro ball of, of uh, positive thinking and of uh, mind control. Uh, you know, whatever you put in your mind will come back in your life. Whatever you put in your mind will come back in your play as a football player and I realized that it didn't say it doesn't say rich and go think you know it says think and go rich <laughs> right <laughs> you have to think you have to think first then you 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 go rich and and you have to think right if you're going to be a productive football player and so I, I think that you know there's all kinds of I've, I've read most of the motivational stuff uh I constantly listen to tapes. I'm very strong with it. I really believe Dick Ziegler is one of the great motivators in the country today. Mm-hmm. Great leader. Jim McEachin and I did a book called Plan to Win, which was, which, uh, you know, came out a number of years ago. It's really true that leaders are readers. So I think you have to read a great deal to get the thinking of other people. Too many times we don't really read enough, uh, and, one of my great influences was a guy named Fred Smith, and he read between four and five hours a day. He lived until he was 92. Yes, and I featured Fred. Fred inspired me. Fred was my mentor, and my, actually he was a father to me. My father died when I was 14, and uh, I've always had a substitute father, and for the last 50 years it's been Fred. Okay. And uh, Fred... Fred inspired me to read and always was recommending me books and and always telling me, you know, the importance of, of reading. And uh, I think we live in a day that when very few people read, they basically, uh, you know, watch television or work on computers. Right. You know, you can learn some things from computers and television, but you learn more quickly from books. 
definitely. I guess Charlie Tremendous Jones is influencing me right now on that, too, you know. He says, except for the books you're in, the people you meet, you'll be the same person five years from now as you are right now. Right. Except for the books you read and the people you meet, you'll be the same person five years from now as you are right now. And that's, uh, that's true. Um, Charlie, of course, was a great, great reader and has probably sent out more books across the country than anybody I know. He either gives books away or sells them cheap to everybody just because he wants people to read. For the place in the world you had most you most like to visit, you had listed prisons. I mean, I think it's pretty self-explanatory after the way you spoke earlier, but could you talk just a little bit about why you select uh, prisons? I don't think that people get happy or get joy. Life is too short to not have joy in it, you know? Yes. And you have to keep repeating that to yourself. Life is too short not to have joy and happiness. And you don't find happiness or joy selfishly. Like, there's times when I've bought the lie. You know, the lie is, I just like to go and sit on the beach and dig my, my toes into the sand and do nothing because I'm, my life is such a whirlwind. But you know that really doesn't bring you joy. What really brings you joy is doing something that really is unselfish, you know, and really is helping other people. The really happy people, the really joyous people, the people that are, are thinking themselves or are giving themselves to helping others. Hmm. And if you just think about yourself, you spiral in more yourself and you become depressed. And if you think, reach out to helping others, you become happy. And so, you know, the, the game, the, the fun thing about football is, is after the game is over and you're worn out, but you feel like you give it your best shot. And, uh, I think I've been happiest in prison because I feel like that I've really helped more people. And one of the reasons you you see, it's not only just me. The inmate is in crisis, and you, you find very few adult men and women who are who really make much vital change in their life, except as, as a result of crisis. Sure. I know virtually no one has really made a life changing decision of any kind, except as a result of crisis. Huh. Everybody in prison is in crisis, so they're all open to change, you know? Sure. Oh, man, you see on the street, he, he, didn't, he didn't want to change. He's pretty happy with himself the way he is. He didn't want to change at all. But, you know, it's the Lance Armstrong who has cancer of the testicles that becomes a great bicycler. Sure. You know, I would choose a different sport if I was going to be in choose a sport if I had cancer with the testicles, wouldn't you? <laughs> right, right. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious, but I'm not, you know, I wouldn't want to ride a bike if I had cancer there, would you? Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> On the other hand, you you see that, you know, he he ultimately discovered his purpose in life and discovered what was important by by, uh, you know, going on and, and uh, letting that actually motivate them to accomplish greater things. Mm -hmm. And in prison, you see people that are really ready to change. And so uh, you, you have to realize that they're, they're open to the, to the message, they're open to the change, and they do change. And, and that gives you great fulfillment and great joy.
I've been blessed to not have to accept any money from my ministry for many years now because, uh, you know, I inherited some money and I've had more fun doing it for free than I ever did when I was making money out of it. You had identified Mother Teresa and Billy Graham as your most admired leaders. Can you just talk about why you selected them? Well, I think Mother Teresa was was a woman who, who lost herself in the service of those who are less fortunate, you know? Right. She had, she had a very famous statement that she made. They said, you know, what if you don't have a Calcutta, you know, you, where, where you go and serve others? She said, there's a Calcutta everywhere. Find your own Calcutta. Ah. That's such a big, big, there's so many problems in the world. You'll find your Calcutta just looking out the window like she did. Sure. And, you know, she'd gone into a monastery or into a nunnery, I guess, and, uh, to, to sort of seek a deeper relationship with God. And she looked out the window after being there for some time without much fulfillment, and she saw the needs of Calcutta. And she went out there and she found a great fulfillment actually in helping those less fortunate in the streets of Calcutta. So Billy Graham was a man unto himself. I went, gave my testimony in his crusades for years when I was playing pro ball and maybe after I was playing pro ball. He had a sort of geographical presence of God around him. He, he was a very much a mystic. No man I ever met had that like he did. It was, it was just there, it, when you came within 10 feet of him you could, you could sense the presence of God. And he, was a, he was a chosen saint of God for our age. Wow. When you had been asked to describe your metaphor story or analogy for leadership you had put down my dad, my coach, as blessers, and then air and acid. Could you talk a little bit about that? Encouragement is like air to the soul, and discouragement is like acid. It leads you alive. Ooh. So that my father was a blesser. Every you know, he would sit on my bedside at night, tell me what a fine boy I was, how much he loved me, and rub my back and kiss me on the mouth. And you know, he he was very much a man. He was a pro baseball player, like I was a pro football player, but not a not a sissy at all. Sure. And uh, and he, he was a great encourager. And I never heard him say anything negative, ever, okay. to me or anyone else. Wow. And uh, he was he was just, you know, very much a blessing. The only thing that he died when I was 14, and so I, I thought I would just die because, you know, it left a big hole in my heart. Sure. And, and, uh, but I had a coach, and this coach was the guy with the stages. Every day after work, he'd come out and work with me on, on how to play defense, you know, to keep your head up and your back straight. And, and uh, he'd work like an hour with me. But I was the smallest, clumsiest, slowest kid on the team. I never knew why he flew with me until I realized that he knew that I had no father. And he kind of stepped into that father position. And every day he'd work out with me and lift weights, and he'd, he'd work with me after the practice was over. And I, I got where I couldn't, couldn't be blocked. And the reason is because you know, I had great technique. You know, it didn't hurt that I gained 60 pounds with six inches in one year, but, but, <laughs> but like, great technical skills, too. Sure. I played for 22 years, 10 as an amateur and 12 as a pro. And during those 22 years, as a pro, and those 12 years as a pro, I played for guys like Shula, who was a great coach at Miami, and hmm. Paul Brown. Uh, and But that little high school coach taught me more than all those other guys put together because he, he was like a dad to me. And then when he died, I 
that Fred Smith, and he became a substitute father. So I've always had that substitute father image there. Sure. You had identified consistency and perseverance as some of the traits you considered most important in a leader. Can you talk a little bit about why consistency and perseverance? A leader can't lead haphazardly. He must lead consistently. He's got to be predictable and dependable in his morals, in his ethics, in in his honesty. Uh, You're never justified in lying. It's sort of like the parents who tell the kids, tell them we're not here. Well, they're lying. Uh, and they teach the kids a lie. And if most of the time, when 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 employees lie, it's because the uh, the management lies to them. Sure. And I don't think you're ever justified in lying uh, to your kids, to your employees, to your people you lead. You've got you've got to be very consistent. If I uh, say a thing, it's got to be something that they can know is the truth. Okay. Is there an important piece of advice that you could share that you've been given? Well, I, uh, you know, I've had so many things. I, I've I've been mentored by the very best. Uh, I guess you know my my coaches were were just men of great integrity and great great. Uh, uh, they were great, you know, lesser type people. They they always stretched me and made me, you know, reach for greater things. And, of course, Fred Smith was certainly that way. And he was, I guess, my the prime leader that I had, the prime mentor that I had. And he was, he was, there was just multitudinous things that he, that he taught me. Uh, he was not at all reticent to give me great advice all along the way. And uh, so he, he was, he was very, very practical. I think he was a very spiritual person, but a very practical person, too. He always sort of kept me off balance. When I was, if I approached something from a too 